Welcome to In the Weeds, a podcast dedicated to discussing everything to do with food sustainability in urban agriculture, indoor growing, food insecurity, resource consumption, and anything else we think is exciting or important. I'm your host, Avery Parkinson. Today we're shifting focus a bit to talk about green building design. A surprising amount of our carbon footprint in Western countries arises from buildings, mostly due to inefficient heating, cooling, and insulation systems. We spoke with Kim Walton, who is an architect and the owner of Beaucrow Design. My name's Kim Walton, and I'm a, a building designer. Um, live in central Alberta, um, in the foothills. And uh, if you know anything about Alberta, there's a bunch of mountains to the west of us. They're very close to where I live. Um, been working from home um, long before COVID, uh, since the early 80s, I've been uh, doing remote work and working on my own. Um, I've been interested in sustainable um, housing, sustainable small buildings for the past 40 some odd years and working on those uh, types of projects. Um, I work independently and I do uh, consulting and um, design work. Um, on that, with that topic in mind. So, um, been uh, working on most recently in the last, especially the last uh, 10 years, on houses and buildings that um, have a label of passive house. So, passive house is a building standard um, that uh, comes to Canada via Germany and started in Can- Western Canada. So, it's kind of a circuitous route. Um, and I don't know whether um, uh, the listeners know anything about Passive House, but it is uh, a building standard uh, that helps buildings become net zero through an effort called Building Envelope First. So there's a couple of routes to net zero. One of them is um, just using a lot of renewables, and, and that's generally uh, photovoltaics or PVs. Um, and adding those to a building. But the way to reduce the number of PVs needed, um, and one of the ways of reducing the number of PVs needed for any building is to make sure that the building envelope is is very um, um, high levels of insulation and that it's airtight. So those are two of the biggest uh, uh, deals in terms of energy efficiency. On your website, you talk about the 10 principles of sustainable design. Can you elaborate on what these are? So the 10 principles I worked on, worked on, worked out over many years, and I've moved them around in terms of, of um, importance. And so uh, they've kind of stayed in the um, uh, sequence that they're in. Um, they are today, and they are on my website. Um, a lot of them, incidentally, I started working on this before I knew anything about Passive House. So incidentally, um, a lot of this uh, is the same, use the same principles as Passive House. But um, the order that I've put them in um, really have a lot to do with what you should be thinking of first. If you couldn't do anything else, this is the order of, of thinking about, um, of a building, of anything that you're planning, because if you're working through the process at all and you do the first five things, you will have a better building to begin with. So that's that's the idea. So um, I did talk about Passive House and 
you know, the five principles of passive house are um, insulation and air tightness, thermal bridge-free construction, which is a bit of a technical term, but what that means is that things aren't sticking out of the building in funny places. And uh, windows and doors, um, so important and um, something that is um, available that in um, great quantities and off the shelf and something that we can do a better job of um, um, in all of our buildings, if especially um, in consideration of the, the fact that we live in a northern climate and windows are the weakest point in our building envelopes. So that's something that we really should be thinking a lot about and mechanical ventilation. So mechanical ventilation is really important in buildings because um, more and more, because as time goes on, there will be periods of time that we will all be dealing with a certain amount of smoke in the air. And that is uh, part of uh, the realities of global warming and what's going on in Canada, um, and but um, in other places where wildfires are, are becoming um, the normal thing. Um, so my list, um, the very first uh, part of the list is making a small and simple footprint, which is really important. So it's it's fun and interesting to do a lot of, um, of overhangs and cantilevers and funny things with buildings. Um, but a lot of those considerations or those, those things really affect the energy efficiency of a building and, and they're difficult to do well. So, so it's something to consider. Um, insulation, of course, um, and as much insulation as makes sense for a budget and for um, uh, the whole building um, performance. Uh, windows, um, just mentioned those. Orientation of the building, which isn't always a thing that you can think about when you are building on an urban lot in urban centers, but all lots have four sides, or sometimes more, but you always have access to um, prevailing winds and you always have access to solar um, optimization. So those are some of the things to think about when you're um, planning a building, when you're looking at a building. The solar exposure is important, not because we want to overheat houses with or buildings with too much solar gains, but because we can take advantage of it. And in a northern climate, and especially in the prairies, we have um, access to a lot of sunshine. So that's something that we can take advantage of in smart ways. An open floor plan is part of that list. And not absolutely necessary, that's why it's running down the list a little bit, but it does help to move air around in a space if you don't have mechanical ventilation. And sometimes if we're talking about a renovation, you don't have options to move, remove walls, those kinds of things. But if you can, that can help um, with just the movement of air around a space and light. Um, when there's more light, natural light coming into a building, you don't turn the lights on very often, and that's an electrical saving. So that's um, just a natural and easy way of, of dealing with um, using less electricity. And along with uh, using less electricity, it's really being conscious of where, where your electrical budget is being spent what it's being spent on, and whether you can uh, improve that. One of the simplest ways is getting a new refrigerator. Old refrigerators eat a lot of electricity, so that's one of the simplest ways of doing it. Um, but there are a lot of things that we um, don't think about in terms of, of electrical expenditures, and that's something that we can work on and be more aware of. 
Um, air quality is lower on my list right now as we're talking. I'm thinking I need to move it up a little bit farther. Some of the realities, some of the realities of some of the things that we've learned that we are going to be dealing with now and in the future, things like heat domes and um, smoke, mean that mechanical ventilation has moved farther up the list. When I first did the made this list, and especially for uh, Western Canada, we had no problem opening windows, had to have no problem cooling our spaces with opening windows, no problem ventilating our homes with opening windows at the right times. But that's not always going to be a consideration when when outdoors is not a healthy and happy place. So so it's something that uh, we all need to think a lot more about and um, more efficient vent, uh, ventilation mechanical systems is really important. So last on my list is renewables. And it's last on the list because um, it's, it's it can be expensive. It's a good thing to add if you can afford it. But everything on the list is in order of affordability and um, and being sure that we are um, making the most of our planning, uh, the planning process, in a sensible way. Do you have any projects that are particularly memorable for you? It's it's a it's getting to be a harder and harder question to answer because um, the, my clients are open to innovation and and the projects have been fun and interesting. Um, one project I will mention though is a project that um, I didn't design that I worked on it with as a team with in the town of Valmont, which is west of Jasper. So it's um, buried in the mount- Valmont is kind of buried in the mountains in northern BC. And um, it's gotten a lot of attention because it's a pretty far north building and home that is very simple and has a simple footprint and a simple shape. And it's um, Passive House certified. Uh, so it's one of the most northern, um, it's not the farthest north version or um, building that's been certified with Passive House um, um but it is one of them, and it's gotten international attention because of of its shape, its interest, the interest in the fact that it's survived really well during the heat dome, and it um, uh, is a cool place. What are some of the specific considerations when building a house in a Canadian climate, or more specifically, where you are in Alberta? Absolutely. So in um, in Alberta and the prairies, it's a lot drier than it is in, say, Vancouver or Toronto or even the east coast of Canada. Every place that you might be thinking about building something, there's different environmental concerns and different environmental things to think about. So um, being drier means uh, a different approach to a building envelope and um, humidity in the building than you might have in uh, a wetter climate. So those that's why you hire experts this um, there's a lot of um, small considerations that become big considerations if they're not done correctly. So doing them correctly to start with makes a um, big difference. So you wouldn't take an ultimately designed, well-designed building for Florida and plop it down in Calgary. That is not sensible. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, for many, many years, um, building trends have been influenced by buildings that have been in other places. So California, it wouldn't be unusual to see a California-designed home anywhere in Canada. And that doesn't necessarily make any sense at all. 
So, yeah, so um, a lot of the considerations are climate driven, and that's part of the list that I went through, you know, talk, thinking about the orientation and thinking about, um, about the environment and, and citing the building and where it is in the world. How has green design changed since you've started working in the field and how are you continuing to see it change? You know, um, um, being building better has, um, is just leaving and just becoming less of a, a boutique project, boutique um, system of building that only wealthy people can, can afford. That's, that's the place that we move, need to move away from every house. The, co- the building code in Canada needs to embrace this kind of, of um, building type. It's important. Um, 40% of the energy um, and the greenhouse gases emitted in, in uh, North America come from buildings. It's a pretty easy way and one of the most important ways for us to cut our carbon emissions by looking at buildings and also looking at the embodied carbon in the buildings um, and with building materials. So there's um, a lot of work being done. There's a lot of smart people, a lot smarter than me, that are working on on processes to do um, do the buildings do buildings correctly. In British Columbia, there's a, uh, something called a step code that is um, as as time is going on um, the level of expectation of the building code in um, British Columbia is improving um, um, the building stock. And um, as the step code progresses, people see the benefits, their clients see the benefits of building better, and people are leaping from um, one code level to the next. Um, The step code is from step one to step five, step five being very close to being a passive house build in um, in British Columbia. And that's a good method for seeing every building, doesn't matter how big, how small, um, is, is applying um, better building principles to uh, building envelopes and buildings. If people are thinking about building anything new or renovating, that some of the things that I've talked about are really important considerations. Uh, a lot of people may be thinking about improving their um, building or their, their um, home. And um, there is a lot of consideration around the finishes that are inside the home or um, uh, what would make their, their home flow better or improving, improving the quality of, of some of the spaces. But there's nothing that will improve their living space more than doing a deep energy retrofit which means included, that means improving the insulation, improving the windows, that will give more benefit long-term than any other renovation that they might do. And when they're considering building from scratch, hiring a professional to help them with energy analysis of their planned project so that they have a better idea of what the outcome of their decision-making is. Can you talk about the intersection with green design and food production? So once upon a time, the buildings that I worked on um, were not passive house, but passive solar. So there's a, that's a different thing. So passive house is really based on the fact that you build a building that really doesn't require a lot of mechanical inputs. It works on its own passively. 
But um, And some of that has a little bit to do with passive solar gains or using the sun and, and thinking about where the sun is. But in the old days, which is um, quite a long time ago now, before we were smart enough to embrace um, maybe some of these other principles, uh, we imagined that um, using passive solar gains so that we would heat totally from the sun was a really smart idea. And one of the ways to mitigate overheating would be to add greenhouses to houses, which is very tasty. It's a really nice idea uh, that you could uh, use the greenhouse and grow um, grow food, grow plants year-round. So ultimately, um, that was just turned out to be a really bad idea. So, and so there's a lot of reasons for it being a bad idea. So um, the number one reason that it's not an excellent idea is that when you're building better, every square foot of space that you put into the building is not cheap, it's expensive. So it's a very expensive greenhouse. So the space ends up being um, uh, expensive. And not only that, it... um, is over, it's has so much glass because that's the, that was the idea of it. It would overheat. They would overheat quite a bit. Um, what has happened with most of those projects that I worked on early on is that the families decided to incorporate the greenhouse into the living space because it was there. It was really easy to incorporate them and reduce the n- amount of glazing. So that happened in my own home too. So I had a little greenhouse, and and the thing was growing. Growing things was fun, but um, growing things indoors means that um, there's a lot of complications. There's um, bugs, and there are um, uh, there's dirt around, and there's watering to consider, and there is ventilation to consider. Uh, when we're when you're growing a garden indoors, there's all the things that you need to, that need to happen outdoors happening indoors and that's not always something that you want to live with so there's mold there's a lot of a lot of things that um, you don't necessarily want in your living space so so I would say that integrated greenhouses although seemed like an awesome idea aren't a really good idea Um, having small, having gardens on a much smaller scale that don't take up as much space makes a heck of a lot more sense. That was Kim Walton. For more information about her and her work, visit bowcrow.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Just Vertical and our work, follow us at Just Vertical on Twitter, Just.Vertical on Instagram, or visit our website, www.JustVertical.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll be discussing more about urban agriculture, food sustainability, or really anything else important or exciting that we feel like talking about.